self-control a very crucial aspect when it comes to becoming the best version of yourself. Many people emphasize building self-control, yet they often omit the crucial hour of achieving it. Well, that's precisely what I aim to discuss in this podcast episode. My name is Favor Yusuf, I'm your host, and you're welcome to Unscripted Progress. Motivation is overrated. Your environment frequently matters more. This idea is drawn for a chapter in one of my favorite books, Atomic Habits. Overweight individuals, smokers, addicts, and others have often repeatedly been told that their struggles stem from a lack of self-control, and perhaps even that they are inherently flawed or they are bad and bad people to say. However, the notion that a mere sprinkle of discipline would resolve all our issues is deeply ingrained in our culture. Yes, this truth reveals that those who exhibit the best self-control are the ones who need to rely on it the least. Okay? They, they genuinely possess the best self-control too. Hence, the key is to practice self-restraint. It's always easier to practice self-restraint when you don't have to use it very often. I'm not disputing the fact that perseverance, grit, willpower, and all of that are very essential to success. However, the way we can improve those qualities is not by wishing that we're a more disciplined person, but by creating a more disciplined environment. Hmm. It's just like wanting to be productive in an unproductive environment. It doesn't work that way. Okay? So habits are very important. You know, they are very important, especially while building ourselves like we have to stock up the right stack up the right habits rather to build the right characters but the environment is very important and we tend to overlook it a lot we tend to overlook the importance of the environment every living being has its own method of sensing and understanding the world around it for example eagles have remarkable long distance vision yeah snakes can smell by tasting the air and sharks can detect a small amount of electricity and vibration in the water caused by nearby fish. So, every li- living thing has a way they perceive things. Human perception of the environment is directed by the sensory nervous system. So, we actually perceive through sight, sound, smell, touch, taste, you know, the five sense organs. But we also have other ways to sense stimuli. But then, some are conscious. Why many are non-conscious? For example, you can notice when the temperature drops before it rains, before a storm. You know, you can notice the pain in your gut when you have a stomach ache. That's very common. Or maybe when you lose balance, you know, you can notice that, oh, you just lost balance. You know, there are receptors in your body that pick up a wide range of internal stimuli. But the most powerful of all human sensory abilities, however, is vision. Now, now let me I, I made some research about vision as a sensory um sensory ability. The human body has about eleven million sensory receptors. Approximately ten million of these of those are dedicated to sight. Some experts estimate that a significant portion of brain resources utilized for vision. This is based on my research. Given the fact that we are more dependent on vision than any other sense. It should come as no surprise that visual cues 
are the most potent catalysts for our behavior. For this reason, and I'm paraphrasing James Clare's statement in Atomic Habits, if I recall correctly, he mentioned that a small change in what you see can lead to a substantial change or shift in what you do. So you can imagine why it's important to live and work in environments filled with productive cues and devoid of unproductive ones. Well, this episode is not to enlighten us about how our environment can affect how we behave, our behavior. It's, it's not enlightening us about um, how we are, we are victims to our environment. But I created this episode to show you ways in which you can be an architect of your environment, how you can design your environment for success. And that's what this episode is about. So let's dive in. As humans, we, we often like to think that we're in control of everything. And yes, we're in control of ourselves. We should be in control, you know. And that's why we also have to be aware of our environment. Because whether we like it or not, in one way or the other, the environment is going to affect the way you think, the way you react to things, the way you do things. That's why a child that is born and brought up in the hood, in the ghetto, and a child that is brought up in a very comfortable place are likely to react to things, to situations in life, react to circumstances in very different ways. But then, as humans, as people who want to become better versions of ourselves, we have to be architects of our environment. We also have to structure our environment in a way that is going to be in favor of us and not against us. Okay, so let me make some examples. You can actually structure your environment. Yes, yes, you can. No matter where you live, believe me, you can structure your environment. Design your environment for your success, for your own good. But then, how do you do that? Every habit is initiated by a cue. We are more likely to notice cues that stand out. Unfortunately, the environment where we live and work often makes it easy not to do certain actions because there are no obvious cues to trigger that behavior to trigger that habit that we actually want to adopt and want to improve on, okay? For example, it isn't not to practice the piano or any musical instrument if you always keep it in a closet, <laughs> like if it's not around you. It isn't not to read a book when the bookshelf is far away from where you normally stay around. But when you put the book or you place the bookshelf in a place where you always see that book, it's easier to cultivate the habit of reading. It's not easy to take your medication, for example, when it's out of sight. For example, whenever I'm sick, I always make sure my medication is always in sight so I can remember them and remember to take them, obviously. So, you know that saying, out of sight, out of mind, it's, it's very true. Yeah, it's actually very true. When the cues that spark the habit are, are subtle or hidden, they are very easy to ignore, and that's true. So if you want to drink more water, you fill up water bottles in the morning and place them in common locations around the house. Actually, do this. If you want to remember to take your medication, you can place them maybe on the dining where you eat dinner before going to bed. You know, what I'm saying is that if you want to make a habit a big part of your life, make the cue a significant part of your environment. Whether you like it or not, habits are connected to the environment. For example, many people drink in social situations than they, they would drink alone. And you also tend to exercise more in the gym when others are exercising than you exercise at home. Don't get me wrong though, our behavior is not defined by the objects in our environment, but by our relationships to them. In fact, 
that is a very useful way to think about the influence of our environment on your behavior. See, stop thinking about your environment as a field with objects. Start thinking about it as being filled with relationships. And that's what I mean by think of your environment in terms of how you interact with the spaces around you. Now, let me explain this. Speaking about the environment, I'm not just referring to physical environment. I'm also talking about your digital environment too. You know, since for, for a couple of years now, technology has become a very huge part of our lives. So our environment also refers to our, our gadgets, our digital environment. That's also very important. You have to arrange your environment, your digital environment, in a way that will bring success to you and not damage to you. In terms of your digital environment, your phones, your laptops, form a relationship with them in the sense that, for example, let me uh, using myself as a use case. If I want to work, I use my laptop whenever I want to work. No social media, just work. And I've developed that relationship with my laptop so that when I really want to work, I put my phone away and focus on my laptop. This way, I have this connection with my laptop, which is a work relationship, you know, with my laptop. So I'm always in a serious business mode whenever I'm on my laptop. And whenever I'm on my phone, that's where I connect with friends, family, go through social media. But it's the direct opposite with my laptop. So I've established a relationship between my laptop, my phone, and myself. If I seem to be engrossed in social media and need to work, I tend to put my phone away, far from me, like putting it in another room and then focusing on what I have to do. That's how you make environments work for you. So if you want to be self-disciplined, if you want to have self-control, then you have to create a disciplined environment for yourself. That's it. Have you ever wondered why people who go for rehabilitation, when they return, they often want to return to those habits. They recognize the cues in their environment, you know, which cause the habits in the first place. And that's because the rehabilitation center or environment has been structured in a way that they wouldn't want to indulge in those habits. They realize it's easy for them to overcome those urges. But then upon returning to the environment they were in, they encounter cues of triggers that, they, they encounter cues that trigger that behavior and then tend to revert to their addiction. You see, I particularly dislike shaming people. I'm against shaming people, especially people struggling with addiction. My reason is, for example, shaming obese people about weight loss can make them feel stressed. Then as a result, many people return to their preferred coping strategy, which is overeating. Don't you wonder why? Don't you wonder why smokers are told they will die young and they still smoke? And that's because when, when they see, the, they know the fact that they are going to die young, they become anxious and they become stressed. So they go back to their coping mechanism, which is to smoke more, you know, to smoke. Honestly, I will say, I, I must say that resisting temptation is an ineffective strategy. It's hard to stay motivated in an unmotivated environment. Maintaining a zen attitude in a lively setting with interruption is challenging and drains too much energy. In reality, our brain doesn't prefer expanding that much energy. So in the long run, you can choose to overpower temptation. Well, in the long run, we often become products of the environment we live in. To be blunt, 
I've never seen someone consistently adhere to positive habits in a negative environment. Personally, I've never been able to maintain a positive habit or attitude in a negative environment. When I realized the significant impact of the environment, I began to structure my environment to support mental and emotional stability and positivity. This extends even to the people around you, the individuals in your environment. When I discuss the environment, I'm not just referring to objects or things. Even people, like people you allow in your life, which people are in your environment, are they contributing negatively? It's akin to allowing someone who constantly makes you angry to remain close to you and then trying to address your anger issues. The simpler approach is to distance yourself from the person causing your anger. That way, you won't even have to get angry initially to attempt to overcome it. You get it. Like, I understand you're grasping the concepts. I know. So, there's a more reliable approach to breaking bad habits or to improve with, with good habits. The thing is, eliminating a bad habit involves reducing exposure to the cue that triggers it. For example, if you're struggling to focus, leave your phone in another room for a few hours. If you constantly feel inadequate, stop following social media accounts that trigger jealousy and envy. I use this quite often. I invest time in following certain people. When their purpose is fulfilled, I don't need them on my feed anymore. I don't need to see their posts, you know. It's me just protecting myself. It's me constructing my digital environment to benefit me, to make it positive. So I unfollow those people. If you are spending excessive time watching TV, consider moving the TV out of your bedroom and leaving it in the living room, you know. If you're spending too much money on electronics, refrain from reading reviews of the latest tech gear. I know someone who spends so much money on electronics due to constant reviews. And why they're always reading reviews is to determine what's better. This gadget is better. I must buy it. So this part is essentially the essentially the inverse of the first law of behavior. Okay, so now the first law of behavior is that you should make it obvious. Well, this is saying that make it invisible. Make the cues for your bad habits invisible. You know, that's truly how you can practice self-control. Practice self-control in a way that arranges your environment so that you don't have to constantly exercise self-control. Then, even though they say you have self-control, the truth is you're just making your environment work for you. So that's a wrap-up for this episode. And that concludes the first episode of our first season. I would love to hear your opinions, honestly, because these are my opinions. I want to hear your voice. So you can leave a voice note. Like, do you have a different opinion? Do you think there's a better way to practice self-control? What are your thoughts about your environment? What do you think about your environment? Do you think you can create a relationship with your environment? Tell me. Talk to me. Well, your host, Favor Yusuf, is signing out. See you next week Monday as I release a new episode. And have fun while making progress.